Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for bringing us here on the Sabbath morning to worship you. And we thank you for the blessings that you've given to us. And I just pray now that you would be with me as I speak. Give me the words that you would have me to say. And may each one of us here listen and hear what the Spirit is saying to each one of us today. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start in our scripture reading, John chapter 16, verses 21 and 22. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a human being is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. This week, I had the privilege of becoming a father for the second time, and was with my wife every step of the way as she delivered our baby girl on Wednesday afternoon. And as we went through this experience together, although she did basically 100%, and I did nothing other than watch and encourage. Um, so I'm not taking any credit, don't get me wrong. It did make me think about some of these verses in the Bible that talk about the experience of the woman in labor as it relates to the second coming of Jesus. And as Seventh-day Adventists, as Christians, the second coming is such a wonderful thing to think about and to talk about, is it not? Because the second coming, it's not a scary thing, or it should not be. It's the glorious event when our best friend and Savior, Jesus, is going to come back in the clouds of heaven. The Bible does say, though, that to get to that point of joy, it's as a comparison, a similar experience to what a woman goes through to deliver a baby. And all of you women here who have gone through that experience know the intensity that is involved in the process. But as Jesus says, once the child is delivered, you don't remember the pain anymore because of the joy of having that baby that you have brought into the world. And Joelle told me, she said, you know, and both times with Sarah and now Annika, the pain was intense and I was there, I saw it. But as soon as she had that baby in her arms, the pain was forgotten. And that's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven. We're going to go through an experience that will be very challenging, yet once we get to the second coming, we, we're going to forget all of that. Now, it's, it was interesting for us with this labor process. With our first child, Sarah things went really pretty smoothly. Joelle came back a month early. We were living in Trinidad. She went to Michigan where her parents are and just to be sure she would be in the United States if she went into labor and we didn't want to have the baby in overseas if we could avoid it. And I came back five days before she went into labor. So everything went right according to plan. And when she went into labor, she had the contractions and the baby came right out. And yeah, it was, a, it was an intense process. And we were just like, man, if the first one went like that, the second one's going to be even easier. <laughs> well, what happened was, starting about a month ago, some of you may know, Joelle started showing signs of early labor. She had to go on bed rest. And so we thought, wow, as soon as she gets off of bed rest, that baby's going to come right out. Well, that didn't happen. 
she got off a of bed rest, and every time she'd have a little contraction, I'm like, oh, really? How, how strong is it? Is it like last time? And, and, you know, it just kept dragging on and on, and Joelle's mom came down from Michigan and was here for two weeks. Nothing happened. Joelle's mom had a committee meeting in um, Washington, D.C. area this week to go to, and so sure enough, right after her mom leaves, then... Um, in the middle of the night, Tuesday night, Joelle said, okay, I think this really is it. And she was up from midnight Tuesday um, all through the night. And then by Wednesday morning, we knew for sure this was going to be it. Um, but it just kind of made me realize that, you know, you can't predict how labor and delivery is going to go. And we can't predict when Jesus is going to come. We don't know the day or the hour. But we do know that he's coming. Just as we knew for sure that one of these days Joelle would have her baby, we can say with confidence that one day soon Jesus is coming. Now let me just dispel a couple of myths. People say things like, well, Jesus may not come for another hundred years. Well, let me say something to that. Do you realize that's not true for you personally? Because there's not a person here in this room, that if the Lord should delay his coming, is going to live for a hundred years. So even if it's not for another hundred years, it's going to be less than a hundred years for us. Because if he delays that long, that day still is going to come sooner for us. Because the moment that our life should cease on this earth, the very next thing we will know, he will be coming in the clouds. So don't live your life as if, oh, Jesus is coming 100 years from now. Who cares? We've heard this our whole lives. Jesus will come the moment your life ends for you. And hopefully for each one of us, we will have the privilege of living until he comes. But don't buy into the thinking that, oh, we've heard this for 150 years, so it may be another 150. For the people who preached it 100 years ago, the next thing they know, Jesus is going to come in the clouds. Let me read to you a few scripture verses now. I've already read the opening verse. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24 and read verses 1 through 8. Matthew chapter 24, reading verses 1 through 8. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So Jesus talks about the destruction of Jerusalem. The disciples, in their mind, if Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, if the temple is going to be destroyed, that must be the end of the world. And Jesus mercifully mixes the destruction of Jerusalem with what will happen just before he comes so that the disciples would not be dis become discouraged realizing that there's still 2,000 years to go here on this earth. But Jesus does something very interesting. When he gets to verse 8, after he lists many different signs of the of his coming. 
when he gets to verse 8, he says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, that's the King James reading. Some of you who have more modern translations will notice what the modern translations do with the word sorrows. Do, you, do any of you have a more modern translation? It says, it, what this word means is the Greek word odin, which means labor pain. Now, I asked my wife just to be sure, and of course this is a one-person sample, so maybe this isn't terribly scientific, but I said, you know, you've had pain in various different ways in your life. How does labor pain compare to any other type of pain? There's nothing else to compare it to, right? Jesus is saying, my coming and the signs of my coming, there is only one way it can be compared to you, something that is totally unique. Labor pain is totally unique. It's something that we as men don't understand. Although if you read the book of Jeremiah, when it talks about Jacob's time of trouble, Jeremiah says it's as if, it says it's as if men are in labor. But that's a spiritual analogy. But in the physical sense, we as men do not know what labor pain is. And it would kill us if we tried. So, <laughs> In fact, I saw, Joel showed me a, a clip on YouTube one time where a guy, I think it was in Great Britain, had this contraction hooked up to him where it would cause muscle contractions that simulated labor pain. And women had said, yeah, this feels like labor. And so the guy put it on and he couldn't handle it. I think he only took, you know, half an hour or something like that. And that was the end of that. Um, but the point is this. Jesus is saying, when I speak of the sorrow in this world that will be experienced, or the pain that will be experienced in this world prior to my coming, there's nothing else that I can compare it to. It's totally unique. Just as a woman who is in labor, you can't compare it to anything else. Yes, there's other types of pain. There's other types of suffering, so to speak, but there's only one type of pain to describe labor. And Jesus is saying, you can't compare what it's going to be like to anything else. These signs are like labor pain. And Jesus then goes on to describe the signs of his coming, the signs of false Christ, false prophets. He tells the disciples of the sign of the abomination of desolation, the sign of the gospel of the kingdom being preached in all the world. He goes through, um, once you get to verse 27, his coming will be like the lightning shining from the east even to the west so that everyone will see it. There's not going to be a secret rapture. And then he goes into some illustrations that when you see the fig tree bringing forth its leaves in the spring, you know that summer is coming. Likewise, when you see the signs, you know that my coming is near. And then he talks about the days of Noah and so on and so forth. And then you get down to verses 42 through 44. And Jesus is saying, you know, when you see these signs... You should be paying attention. Verse 42, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of, son of Man cometh. You know, the world, and even perhaps in the church, we see the signs 
But because these signs have been going on for so long, we start to develop this mentality, especially in the world, but hopefully not in the church, but perhaps so that, oh, people have talked about Jesus coming for so long. This great catastrophe that just happened, that's just a natural cause. It's probably nothing prophetically significant. Don't worry about it. Don't get too worked up about it. And instead of watching for the coming of the Lord, we start to get lackadaisical, perhaps, in our approach. And in fact, Paul addresses this very same concept in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. Speaking about Jesus coming as a thief in the night. Paul says, But at the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. He's borrowing, he's borrowing language from Jesus here. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. So Jesus and Paul both say, listen, we should not be overtaken by the coming of Jesus as if it's a thief in the night. We should be watching. We should know the signs of the times. If anybody in this world should know where we are prophetically, if anyone should be able to explain to a lost and dying world the good news that the Savior of the world is going to come back to take us to be with him, to put an end to the sin and suffering of this world, we should know that, should we not? We know from the Bible the message of Scripture that identifies the coming of Jesus. And listen, if you are a woman who starts to travail in labor, you know that your baby is coming. We should be like the woman in labor as God's people, seeing the signs and saying, these are the pains, the labor pains that Jesus said would come to this world. And so we're not in darkness. We're not in the dark as to what's going on. We don't have to wonder, why did 9-11 happen? Why did the tsunami happen? We know that the four winds are being released so that Satan is allowed to do more work of destruction because we are getting closer and closer to the coming of the Lord. Now, after Jesus goes through the signs and he encourages us to watch and to look for his coming, he gives several parables, starting at the end of Matthew chapter 24, to illustrate to us how to be ready. And these illustrations are found, starting at the end of Matthew chapter 24, with the illustration of the faith faithful and wise servant versus the evil servant. Then you have the parable of the ten virgins, then the parable of the talents, and then the parable of the sheep and the goats. 
So you hear Jesus saying, watch, be ready, I'm coming like a thief in the night. And you're asking, okay, Jesus, I want to be ready. How do I prepare myself to be ready for your coming? And Jesus says, study these parables. Study the parable of the, the wise versus the evil servants. Study the parable of the ten virgins. Study the parable of the talents and study the parable of the sheep and the goats. Now, we're not going to go through all of those today, but those are things that you should, for homework, go back and look at further. We're going to start with an illustration of the two servants, starting in verse 45 of Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, starting in verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. So here's what Jesus is saying. When I come back, there will be a blessing for those who are giving me in due season or food in due season. Now, what does Jesus mean by giving me in due season? Does he mean simply that his people living before the coming of Jesus in the clouds will be passing out food to people who are hungry? Partly. Because when you get to the parable of the sheep and the goats, he says, when I was hungry, you fed me. So yes, that's part of this application. But obviously, that's not the only thing we're talking about here. We are also talking about spiritual food. Because what Jesus wants for his people who are living before he comes to be doing is to spiritually feed those who need to be spiritually fed so that they can be prepared for the coming of Jesus. Does that make sense? Jesus is saying there will be a blessing for the wise and faithful servants who give the right kind of message to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. Do you realize that there is the right kind of message that we should be sharing to a lost and dying world to prepare them for the coming of Jesus? There is a specific message that prepares the people for the coming of the Lord. And we find that especially in the book of Revelation. It's especially known as the three angels' messages. Jesus is saying there is a blessing for the wise and faithful servant who gives the right kind of message at the right time. You know, one of the challenges of God's people throughout history, way back into the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, is a tendency to give messages that are good but are not necessarily appropriate for the time. In fact, the Jews focused so much on the coming of the Messiah that they tended to look at the passages of Scripture that focused on the glories of the second coming and of the setting up of the eternal kingdom, and they didn't realize what kind of kingdom Jesus was coming to set up. And so the type of message that the church gave to God's people just before the coming of Jesus the first time didn't adequately prepare most of them for his first coming. Now let me just give a warning to each one of us. Let's be careful that we don't make the same mistake. Because there's a special type of message for this time 
to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. And Jesus is saying, there is a blessing for those who give me in due season. Blessed is that servant when his, whom his Lord cometh, when, he, when his Lord, when he cometh, shall find him so doing. Verse 47, verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Now, that's an interesting comparison to something that is said in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verses 26 and 27. Because what Jesus is saying, when I come back, if you are doing the work that I have given you to do, there will be a blessing to you. And in fact, I will make you ruler over all my goods. That's the parable. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 26 and 27, we see that just before Jesus comes back, there's a judgment that will take place. And in verses 26 and 27, we read, the judgment shall sit and they shall take away his dominion, that's of the little horn, to consume and to destroy unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So in other words, at the end of the judgment, those who are faithful will be given the kingdom of God. And when God speaks, or when Jesus speaks to the Laodicean church, he says, if you overcome as I overcame, I will grant you to sit with me in my throne. So there is a blessing for those who are doing what God asks them to be doing, not to gain brownie points with God, but out of a heart of loving and willing service to him. Now there's not only the wise servant, there is also the evil servant. Before I say anything more about the evil servant, though, let me just take you to one other verse. This is Daniel chapter 12. Verse 3, and this is speaking of those who are wise at the end of time. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, this verse is special to me. My grandmother wrote this verse in my Bible that she gave me as a gift for graduation from Highland Academy back in 1996. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So these wise and faithful servants who are giving meat in due season, we see that they shine as the brightness of the firmament. They turn many to righteousness through the preaching of Scripture that points people to the righteousness of Christ in preparation for his coming. Now, you know, it's been said that we should brighten the corner where we are. That does not mean burn it down. Sometimes when we want to go out and witness and shine brightly for Christ, we have to be careful to avoid the tendency of burning people down in the process. That's not what God wants us to do, right? But he does want us to shine. He wants us to be wise. He wants us to turn many to righteousness. And so here we see that before Jesus comes, God is going to have a group of servants who are described as wise, who give the message that is appropriate for this time. They shine as the brightness of the firmament. They turn many to righteousness. Now notice this. When you get to verse 48, we see that there's not only a wise servant, we also see that there's an evil servant. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Notice this. The wise servant is giving meat in due season, giving the message appropriate for the time. But the evil servant says in his heart, 
my Lord delayeth his coming. I've been hearing this thing about Jesus come for my whole life and it hasn't happened yet. Let's get over this, folks. Let's just have a good time. That's what the evil servant is saying, right? And look, for the most part, I don't hear people say, I'm tired of hearing us talk about Jesus. Come, I hear that every once in a while. You may hear it every once in a while. But it's usually not audibly spoken. It's said in the heart, right? So it's not an audibly spoken thing, but in, in our heart we could have a tendency, a tendency to say, I've heard this whole thing about Jesus coming my whole life, and I don't see him coming. Let's just have a good time while we're here on this earth. Now, while there may be a literal application to the element of eating and drinking with a drunk, and that's not really what Jesus is speaking about. There may be the literal element to becoming inebriated, intoxicated, whatever you want to call it. And certainly I can tell you um, as a physician that if you're inebriated, that your frontal lobe is shut down and you're not thinking clearly. You aren't, your inhibitions are gone and you start to do things and say things that otherwise in your normal right mind you would not have said. But what is the spiritual application to eating and drinking with a drunk? And what have we typically said is um, if you drink wine that makes you drunk, what do we say that the wine represents? Wine represents false doctrine, Right? Now, why does wine represent false doctrine? Because just like alcohol, when you drink the alcohol, it causes you to not think clearly. When you imbibe false doctrine, it causes you to not think correctly. Do you see the point? And what happens is God's people who should be preparing for the coming of the Lord, they say, you know what? I kind of like this wine over here that makes me feel comfortable in not being so focused on the coming of Jesus. I like that kind of wine. I like that kind of teaching. I like that kind of theology. I don't need to worry so much about Jesus coming anymore. And here's what happens. When evil servants start to imbibe such wine, when they hear the wise and faithful servant giving the message for this time, Jesus says the evil servants are going to persecute or smite their fellow servants who are giving the right kind of message. And so this is a warning to each one of us, that God has given a message to us for this time to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. He is warning us to avoid the tendency to be like an evil servant, to participate in eating and drinking with the drunken, or in other words, to say, hey, maybe Babylon actually has something good to offer to us. Let's take their wine. Let's take their doctrine. Let's take their theology. This is pretty good stuff. Hey, you wise servants, stop talking about Jesus coming. That's what Jesus is saying. And he said it would happen before the coming of the Lord. By his grace, we want to be wise servants who shine as the brightness of the firmament. By his grace, we want to turn many to righteousness. And so Jesus says in this illustration that there will be faithful servants who give the right message for this time, and they will have to deal with those who will persecute them for giving the right message because they have participated in drinking the wrong 
kind of drink, the wine of Babylon. Now, that's the first illustration. So we see, okay, we need to be giving the right kind of message for this time. But that certainly isn't the only thing that we should be doing in preparation for the coming of the Lord. Matthew chapter 25, which is the parable of the ten virgins, which certainly could be a sermon in itself, gives us some further helpful clues to help us understand how to be ready and how to recognize the signs of the times. We know this parable. This is where um, you have ten virgins who go forth with their lamps to meet the bridegroom. Now, a, a woman in Scripture represents the church, and a virgin represents a pure woman. This represents God's pure last-day church who are living in expectation of the coming of Jesus, and they take their lamps... And scripture tells us that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So this is a Bible-believing, pure church. They take scripture and they go forth with the message of scripture to meet the bridegroom. You could almost say, oh, these are the wise servants who are preaching the message for this time. They have their lamps. They're trying to give light to the world through the word of God. However, five are wise and five are foolish. You see, it's not just enough to preach the word of God. Because five wise virgins have the, will of God, have the word of God, five foolish virgins have the word of God, so what makes the difference? It's the oil in the lamp, right? And the oil in the lamp, as we study from Zechariah chapter 4, represents the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is such an important element to the preparation of the coming of the Lord. Because here's what happens in the Christian church. Those who do not have the oil in their lamps potentially can turn the lamp into a weapon. Because you don't have the oil to give your lamp power, so you have to use the lamp as a weapon to, to give the, the power that's lacking because you don't have the oil that's giving off the light. Do you see the point? And the oil of the Holy Spirit gives light and power to the Word of God. So yes, we need to preach the message for this time, but it needs to come through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we need to let the conviction of the Holy Spirit do the work of the cutting and the convicting and, the, and all of that. We leave that to the Holy Spirit. Now, the other flip side is some people say, throw out the lamp, just give me the oil. I want the Spirit, I don't want the Word. And what happens if you have the lamp, if it's not encased within the parameters of the lamp that will help the lamp to light, or the oil to light the lamp so the lamp can give light? If you just have the oil, you're going to get messy all over the place. And I'll tell you what, people who try to have the spirit without the word, you see a lot of messes going on. So we got to be careful. You can go into either ditch of having the word without the oil or the oil without the word. And so here you have five wise virgins, five foolish virgins, and those who were wise had the oil. Now, I'm just going to read an interesting statement to you that I found. This is actually in Christ Object Lessons, speaking of the, the parable of the virgins. And let me find this quote. Here we go. Christ Object Lessons, page 411. The class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. 
They have a regard for the truth. They have advocated the truth. They are attracted to those who believe the truth, but they have not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's working. They have not fallen upon the rock Christ Jesus and permitted their old nature to be broken up. So in other words, the foolish virgins, these are not people that have no interest in the message of the coming of Jesus. These are people that are showing up to church each week. These are people who have a profession to love the Lord, but they have not surrendered to their lives to Jesus Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to come into their hearts. And so they have the lamp, they have the word of truth in their lives, but they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit to go along with it. And the reason why that's important is because we see in this parable, there's going to come a time at midnight where a cry is made, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. This is analogous to the loud cry of Revelation 18, where an angel comes down from heaven and it has great power. The earth is lightened with its glory. And at that time, we will see who has had the Holy Spirit in their lives and who is not. It's not just enough to know the truth. Yes, it's good to know the truth. Yes, we need to study our Bibles. Yes, if anybody should know what the Bible says for the time that we're living in, we should of all people know that because we love the Lord and we want to study his word of truth. But connected with that is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which we find from studying scripture, which enables us to be like Jesus. So not only do we talk about Jesus, not only do we study about Jesus, not only do we talk about his coming, but we demonstrate what his life is like to those around us so that when the final crisis comes, it will be revealed that those who have had the oil in their lamps have learned how to be like Jesus through the trials that we have now. Because listen, when that final crisis comes, it's going to be like that final push of labor. It's described in Daniel chapter 12 as a time of troubles such as, such as since the world has not seen. It's a type of pain that can only be described as something that you've never seen before. And only a woman who has gone through labor knows what you're talking about. That final push before the baby comes out. And you know, in our case this last week, about two hours before the final delivery, um, things really picked up. And Joelle had a five-minute contraction. We timed it. I mean, she had a three-minute with Sarah and we thought that was really long. But this time, she had a five-minute contraction. The baby dropped from a minus two station to a plus one station after that five-minute contraction. And that told all of us that were there, we're getting close. And it was a very, very painful contraction. And after that, things really picked up. And then, of course, with a final pushing, you know, for Joelle, that's the worst pain she's ever going to experience in her life. And then the baby comes out. And we put the baby, Annika, in her arms. And Joelle will tell you, from that moment on, she forgot the pain. Listen, if you love Jesus, it may be true that we will go through some serious labor pains before he comes in the clouds. We may go through Jacob's time of trouble, the time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. But if you love Jesus, if Jesus is your friend, you're going to be like a laboring mother who looks past that labor pain to the expectation of that baby in her arms. If you can't look past the time of trouble, could it be it's because you don't want to meet Jesus? 
we need to learn to make Jesus as our best and dearest friend every day. Because if Jesus is our best and dearest friend, we want him to come back. You know, I've used this analogy maybe here before and in other places. What, do you want to have a permanent long-distance relationship with Jesus? Joelle and I had a long-distance relationship for over a year when we first got together. And I can tell you, we counted down the days till the time that we could live in the same place. It should be the same way with us towards Jesus. We want him to come. And yes, we may go through some serious labor pains to get to his coming. But when he comes, let me read our scripture verse again. Jesus says that it's going to be worth whatever pain we go through to get through. John 16, 21 and 22. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a human being is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. I hath not seen... Eareth not heard, neither hath entered into the imagination the things that God hath prepared for those who love him. And by the grace of God, we want to be those who will someday soon be able to say, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what an amazing God you are that you have prom promised to deliver us from the pain and sorrow of this world. We look forward to the coming of Jesus in the clouds of heaven. And I pray that we will be the wise and faithful servants who will give the message for this time to prepare a people for your coming so that we will shine as the brightness of the firmament, that we will turn many to righteousness, and that we will be the wise virgins in the parable who not only have the word of truth as with lamps in our hand, but that we will have the oil of the Holy Spirit, the power of the indwelling Christ in our hearts and our lives so that we can be a demonstration of Christ's matchless love to the world. May Jesus come and may it be soon. And we love you and we thank you and be with us throughout the rest of this Sabbath day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.